I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, the Russo brothers, directors of Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, along with Captain America Civil War, responded this week to Martin Scorsese, who says the Marvel Cinematic Universe is not cinema. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. I saw Ford versus Ferrari this week. I'll tell you if it crosses the finish line or stalls out in the first turn. Just couldn't resist, could you? It took me a long time to come up with that. I don't know car stuff. From Jeff Braun to Jeff Goldblum, who is the host of a wonderful new show on Disney+. Plus. Can't wait to tell you about it. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. Pretty powerful group of people for Martin Scorsese to take aim at. He made some comments, I guess it's been almost two months now. It was like six or seven weeks ago. What happened, Jeff? Uh, Martin Scorsese, yeah, just say, he just said, you know what? The Marvel movies are not cinema. Okay. And everybody like went, what? Because, yeah, I mean... Well, I could see a lot of people not saying they're the best movies of all time, but that's a kind of a weird thing to say. Okay, so he spent the last few weeks walking back some comments he made about Marvel movies, specifically how he said they are not cinema. This from Cinema Blend. A lot of people related to Marvel, including head honcho Kevin Feige, have stood up for Marvel movies in the aftermath. But Avengers Endgame's directors, the Russo brothers, have been silent on the topic until this week. Joe Russo mentioned, It's difficult to have dialogue when the director hasn't even seen all of Marvel's Phase 1 through Phase 3 movies. Also going on to say, quote, But at the end of the day, what do we know? We're just two guys from Cleveland, Ohio, and cinema is a New York word. In Cleveland, we call them movies. The directing duo also shared, They feel that Avengers Endgame's success is not just a financial win, but also an emotional win. Telling The Hollywood Reporter, the movie had unprecedented impact on its audience. To them, this seemingly makes Marvel movies a real cinematic experience. With Anthony Russo also explaining, he doesn't necessarily feel Scorsese's big commentary on the state of cinema is on the mark. His opinion? Quote, the other way to think about it, too, is nobody owns cinema. We don't own cinema. You don't own cinema. Scorsese doesn't own cinema. So we wanted to weigh on this now that the Russo brothers have weighed in. Jeff, what do you think? Uh, Well, I don't think Scorsese needs to see all the Marvel movies to reach his conclusions. I also don't think Joe Russo thinks cinema is just a New York word. I get his catering to the masses and Joe Lunchbox type uh, feelings there. But I also think he would have felt a bit stung when Scorsese said that they're not cinema. I mean, how could you not? He's Scorsese. It's like if Bruce Springsteen said, told you your rock band sucked or if Coco Chanel said you stink or something like that. (laughs) You know what I mean? If Scorsese says your movies suck, that's going to make you feel bad as a filmmaker. The other brother, Anthony, I think is right. His point being that it's all cinema. Some movies have different goals than others, of course. There's no way that everyone's going to like everything. I mean, I consider myself a movie buff, but there are whole genres I won't watch. There are tons of classics I've yet to see. There are popular and critically acclaimed movies I love and some that I hate. Uh, it's not as subjective as music, I don't think, but there's still a lot of beauties in the eye of the beholder with movies. It's it's up to the viewer to decide if something is quote-unquote art, I think. So, Scorsese He's, you know, welcome to his opinion about that, but so am I if I call Captain America the Winter Soldier art, but I 
also don't think that that movie is as arty as most Scorsese movies. It was weird that Scorsese said it, possibly out of frustration that the superhero movies, you know, command so much of the Hollywood resources right now. I'm sure it's true that there are movies that Scorsese would like a lot more that are not being made because the money's being put towards Marvel movies, but that's business. The Marvel movies make money, so it's going to happen. And Scorsese's always been a big booster of cinema otherwise he really lives and breathes movies he made hugo a children's movies not above entertaining the masses uh francis ford coppola also was uh talking smack recently he actually did say the marvel movies were quote despicable but he's always sort of let his godfather bona fides get to his head and lead his ego around like that so i get where they're coming from as directors of some of the best movies of all time that they don't like that the marvel movies are the be all end all of movies right now but there's also like an definitely an air of old man yells at cloud about it they change cinema cinema's changing again and they don't like it what are you going to do and i mean it's also worth pointing out that their best friends include steven spielberg and um george lucas and those guys have did their share of making quote-unquote marvel movies years ago so and they're not they never got mad about that yeah that's a great point and on November 4th, Martin Scorsese wrote an opinion piece for the New York Times, and the headline is, I said Marvel movies aren't cinema. Let me explain. So I just wanted to read a couple of passages from this. When I was in England in early October, I gave an interview to Empire Magazine. I was asked a question about Marvel movies. I answered it. I said that I've tried to watch a few of them and that they're not for me, that they seem to be closer to theme parks than they are to movies, as I've known and loved them throughout my life, and that, in the end, I don't think they're cinema. Well, some people seem to have seized on the last part of my answer as insulting or as evidence of hatred for Marvel on my part. If anyone is intent on characterizing my words in that light, there's nothing I can do to stand in the way. He goes on to say, For me, for the filmmakers I came to love and respect... For my friends who started making movies around the same time that I did, cinema was about revelation, aesthetic, emotional, and spiritual revelation. It was about characters, the complexity of people, and their contradictory and sometimes paradoxical paradoxical natures, the way they can hurt one another and love one another and suddenly come face to face with themselves. It was about confronting the unexpected on the screen and in the life it dramatized and interpreted and enlarging the sense of what was possible in the art form. So, okay, that's fair. But that whole paragraph, it sounds like he's actually describing the Marvel Cinematic Universe because one of the reasons why the Marvel Cinematic Universe has done so well is its characters. The effects are great. But in the end, people stuck with it and loved it so much because they did such a great job at establishing characters who we care about in every... And really, they only had a couple of missteps. The Incredible Hulk was a misfire. Iron Man 2 was a misfire. Other than that... People say Thor 2. Well, Thor 2 was... Yeah, that was not the best effort, but I still like Thor, uh, the Dark World. So the characters in the MCU are outstanding. And then he goes on to talk about the complexity of people and their contradictory and sometimes paradoxical natures and the way they can hurt one another and love one another and suddenly come face to face with themselves. Well, there's Civil War where they end up at odds with each other and fight each other and having to come face to face with themselves. Tony Stark, that's essentially his entire character arc is having to come face to face with himself that's what it is for most superheroes yeah spider-man's like that batman's really like that yeah superman's often like that 
So, yeah, it's just he should have just stopped talking when he said they're not for me. Like, just, <laughs> you don't like these movies? That's fine. It's, and I, I don't, some the anger on the internet of, like, how dare he not like the Marvel movies, that I don't get. It's just like, why do you care what movies Martin Scorsese likes? I mean, these movies are not built or made for him at all. No. He's, like, an almost an 80-year-old man. No offense to 80-year-old men, but the, the, the Hollywood's not making movies for... Old man. Yeah, and he he does say, I know that if I were younger, if I had come of age at a later time, I might have been excited by these pictures and maybe even wanted to make one myself. But I grew up when I did, and I developed a sense of movies of what they were and what they could be, and that was as far from the Marvel Universe as we on Earth are from Alpha Centauri. So... I, I appreciate that he took the time to go on and explain, and he even makes a comparison to, in his time, Alfred Hitchcock, you could say, was the franchise. Every time Hitchcock had a movie come out, yeah. it was an event. And I think one of the reasons, too, why these guys maybe have a problem with these movies is, well, here, I'll just read what he says. In many places around this country and around the world, franchise films are now your primary choice if you want to see something on the big screen. It's a perilous time in film exhibition, and there are fewer independent theaters than ever. The equation has flipped, and streaming has become the primary delivery system. Still, I don't know a single filmmaker who doesn't want to design films for the big screen to be projected before audience is in theaters, and that includes me, and I'm speaking as someone... Martin Scorsese speaking here, who just completed a picture for Netflix. It and it alone allowed us to make The Irishman the way we needed to, and for that, I'll always be thankful. But see, yeah, he's mad that all the screens are being sucked up by the superhero movies, and he has to put his movie on Netflix. And it's it's happened. Like, when Endgame came out, I remember thinking, like, my God, I feel bad for anyone who doesn't want to see this movie because there's almost nothing else to see this weekend. It was on 80 to 90% of screens in all the multiplexes, you know? Yeah. So, and so he's got a point there. And it's not, that's not even, well, an old, it's not like an ageist thing with him and that because Tarantino will tell you the same thing and he's 30 years younger than Scorsese. I remember Tarantino, I listened to him on a podcast recently and he was. Oh, what is he? He's had some snarky thing. He's like, I like to go to my theater because we have a real projector in there. I don't go to a regular theater because that's just watching a DVD on a bigger screen. Because okay. he's mad about he does not like the digital projection at all. Okay. So it's it's when you get these auteur filmmakers, they got their very specific little snipey things about how movies are projected. Spielberg will be the same way, but all these guys, Spielberg. He can afford to have a guy come to his house and project a movie how he wants it to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and Tarantino bought his own theater in Hollywood, and so these and Scorsese's got his own screening room, I'm sure, in New York City somewhere, or whatever. So those guys, they're coming at it from a different angle, but there's that's just what you get with these uh, high-minded artists. Yeah, and and. You can't dismiss what Scorsese says. I mean, he is, after all, the man behind one of the greatest, well, many of the greatest movies of all time, including this one. I know I'd go from rags to riches. To me, being a gangster was better than being president of the United States. Never ride on your friends and always keep your mouth shut. It meant being somebody in the neighborhood that was full of nobodies. look like a gangster. I don't know that anybody's going to argue that Avengers Endgame is better than Goodfellas, yeah. but 
some people might like Avengers Endgame more. And, and, and the thing about the art aspect of it as well, not everybody cares for like stuff that's really arty. Sometimes nope. people just want to be told a good story. And if you want to dig deeper into the story, great. There are movies that I watch where I really do enjoy the extra kind of arty touches that I put in. But I fully admit I'm not smart enough to pick up on all the symbolism that these auteurs will stuff into their movies. I remember I, t- I did take a film class and I was I was fascinated to learn how much these filmmakers often put sort of that they layer in where you can watch the movie and just for the plot and its story. But if you really dig deep, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Oh, yeah. Underneath, but not everybody cares for that. When I rewatched The Shining recently, and then I watched the documentary that a bunch of conspiracy theorists made about The Shining, is there's some awesome stuff. There's a Stanley Kubrick rearranging cans on a shelf in the background, so they're tilted just the right way to symbolize different things. And really, yeah, just insane. Some of the stuff he was a de- like these guys that are very detail oriented. You can, like you say, get really deep into the weeds with it if you want to, or you can just have fun. And I think, uh, for example, Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's like that. That's fun first time through. I watch it three times in theaters, and you pick up more and more each time. And I'm sure I'll keep on picking up more and more every time. And the Coen Brothers are like that with all. All their movies. Mo- I would say with 90% of Coen Brothers movies, I enjoy it more the second time than the first time. Okay. Well, I guess we should consider ourselves lucky then <laughs> that we like art cinema. <laughs> we can like all sorts. And we also yeah. like superheroes. The world has spoken. Avengers Endgame is shattering box office records around the world. Whatever it takes. Avengers Endgame, rated PG-13. And up next, we're going to tell you what's coming to home video, and I think a movie Jeff just mentioned is on that list. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes. Time to have a look at what is coming to home video. I just want to take care of my grandma. These Wall Street guys, you see what they did to this country? game is rigged, and it does not reward people who play by the rules. So, are you in? You want them drunk enough to get their credit card, but sober enough to sign the check. Tell the nice man where you live. New York! You gotta be a little more specific, baby. I was born to flex. Diamonds on my neck. I like board and jets. I like more than sex. But nothing in this world that I like more than jets. Hustlers. Tickets available now. Hustlers! That's the stripper movie with Jennifer Lopez and Constance Wu. Cardi B was in the... She was rapping in that clip. She's also in the movie. I also noticed when I watched that commercial, I watched the video of it, it also said uh, Lizzo is in the movie. Also a rap str- a rapper, a rapstress? Yes, a rap- sure, a rapstress. But not in that clip. I never. I only became aware of Lizzo this week when she got nominated for all the Grammys. Yeah, eight <laughs> Grammy nominations for Lizzo. She is a, a big star. I only recently heard of her as well. She's one of those artists where like, I heard the song uh, like 10,000 times on the radio, but didn't know who it yeah, was, yeah. and then finally connected the dots uh, when she popped up in the MTV Movie Awards, I think it was. But yeah, Hustlers was actually pretty good. I enjoyed it. Uh, I think I gave it... I just want to take... Whoops. I think I gave it, uh, I, apparently I liked it a lot. I think I gave it to what, three and a half couch yeah. cushions out of five. I want to see it too. Yeah, it was cool. It. Great performance from Lopez. Probably a career best right from Lopez. And just as an aside as well, it's it's kind of a marvel to see, like, she's 50 years old. 
And she looks the same. She, yeah, <laughs> she has not aged at all. She is still in tremendous shape. There was nothing sort of pretentious or false about her performance. Or like, oh come on, she would never actually fly as an exotic dancer. There's some water treatment plant in Hollywood that is piping special water to people like her and Tom Cruise, LL Cool J, LL No kidding, he looks exactly the same too. And just these other people. Matt Damon still looks like he's 20, even yeah. though he's 50. And it's just like, what is going on? But yeah. So there, yeah, Hustlers is one of a few, a lot of good movies out this week. Uh, Ready or not, what that was like a horror movie? Yeah. Is it the hide and seek one in the haunted house or something? Uh. Oh, you're going to marry into our family. You've got to play hide and oh, seek. Oh, yeah. That was great. Yeah, that lo- great. It looked great. I didn't <laughs> see it, but it looked great. Yeah, that looked like fun. Uh, a couple other awesome movies. Downton Abbey. I really like that. That's coming to digital HD on Tuesday as well. And of course... Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, my Tarantino, not going to rent it on digital HD, waiting for the hard copy. It's going to come out, I think, December 10th. Oh, great. So we have to talk about it again? Yeah, that's why I put the Hustlers clip in there today instead of the... I was like, we're going we're gonna to save the Tarantino. Okay, good. Yeah. And then on Blu-ray DVD this Tuesday, Angel Has Fallen, one of the greatest action movies of the last five weeks. The Butlerverse. The Butlerverse. The uh, third of a trilogy. I think they may be making more, though. They're making a spin-off TV series. That's what they're Really? Making. Yeah, with some of the, an international TV series. Speaking of spin, Ford versus Ferrari spun into theaters last week. Jeff has a review next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And now I'm going to review the movie Ford versus Ferrari. So you're going to build a car to beat Ferrari. With a Ford. Correct. <laughs> I hate guys like us because we're different. What are they doing? Making your car go faster. That's more rocket. You got a plan? Tyrese. No, I thought the whole point was to win the race. Ford vs. Ferrari stars Matt Damon and Christian Bale. It's directed by James Mangold, who made movies like Logan and Walk the Line. The basic plot is this. Matt Damon is a former race car driver. He won the Le Mans race uh, in the 50s-sometime or early 60s. He was, at the time, the only American to have done so. And Ford hires him to build them a car. So they can win the Le Mans race in a Ford. An American-made car has never won the race before. Le Mans race, if you don't know what it is, it's a 24-hour race in the south of France. Uh, And you, you hear that and you think, wow, that's a long race, but... They really drive home the point that it's a 24-hour long race. It's literally the same as driving from L.A. to New York without stopping at all at race car speeds. Uh, And it takes 24 hours. Half the race is in the dark. There's a lot of people, you know what I mean? You, You don't, that's... Most people sleep through half the race because you could never really watch the whole thing. Uh, so that's sort of the plot, and they have to come up with this race. Christian Bale is the race car driver, Matt Damon's friend, and Ford butts its nose in their business a lot of the place, so it's sort of a David versus Goliath thing on that end. It's a good sports movie, underdog style. The options with sports movies, of course, are limited. You can really only do a couple of different things, and I honestly couldn't tell which way this was going to go. Most sports movies have a big game. This has a 45-minute long final race, which is awesome. There's sort of limited racing prior to it, but lots of research and development as they build this car, and there are a couple of other sort of practice races. There's a lot of fast driving. It felt action-y kind of throughout 
There's, there's no announcer during the race, which is rare for a sports movie. Uh, there's a blend of different media, commentary from the crew, commentary from uh, the Christian Bale's kids who's watching it on TV. I actually think that works better than if they just had a guy announcing stuff all the way through because it is such a long scene. And it's a 24-hour long race. What kind of an announcer would actually just call a whole thing like that? That's insane. It looks amazing. It sounds even better. They When they cut between cars with their different sort of engine sounds, it's just beautiful. The stakes I thought are on point. There's some literal plot stuff about trying to win the race that was good. There's a lot of stuff with Bale's character. He's he's a kind of this wild card guy who's got a wife and a kid and he's trying to come to terms with his life. They're poor. He needs money, but he doesn't want to sacrifice his art for Ford's money and stuff like that. There's a lot riding on this race. It's two and a half hours long, and it's the fastest two and a half hours I've spent in the theater, no pun intended. Uh, I didn't once consider going to the washroom, and I usually go at least once, if not twice. I was just in this movie from the beginning. It had a cumulative effect, I thought, so by the time the last third of it rolls around, you're just as amped as Bale is, and you're just ready to get that race underway. Great chemistry between Christian Bale and Matt Damon. Damon sort of getting the star treatment, but it's really Bale's movie. What I like about each guy is Damon doesn't really mind taking a second banana position in a movie, even though he could be the lone lead every time if he wanted to be in worse movies. Bale doesn't mind if Damon's out there as a public face of this movie either, even though Bale is, quote-unquote, actually the star of the movie. Uh, To that end, the trailer actually does a pretty good job of, quote-unquote, lying about some things. Not in a dishonest way, but in a way that tells you what the movie is about, but it still leaves room for surprise prize very early on. In other words, you think you know what movie you're walking into and you only sort of do, which is very rare for trailers. Now, uh, we've said this many times, trailers this day and age tend to give away the whole movie. People tend not to mind. It drives me nuts. The supporting cast is good from top to bottom, including John Bernthal as Lee Iacocca and Tracy Letts as Henry Ford II, as well as Ray McKinnon. He's one of Damon's mechanics. He's a that guy whom you'll recognize. He's one of my favorites, but I guess I haven't seen him in a while because he suddenly looked a lot older than I thought he was. Uh, Henry Ford II, not the third. Edsel came in between Henry Ford the one who started Ford, and then Henry Ford II, who is in this movie played by Tracy Letts. That's the only thing I looked up because I didn't think the math added up between... He said, they said, I'm Henry Ford II, but Henry Ford I was my grandpa. I was like, well, how does that work? Because usually it goes one, two, three, right? Yeah. But the dad didn't have... Wasn't named Henry, so there. that's how. Uh, I, I, I didn't look that up. I'm sh- I didn't want to know... Didn't look it up because I didn't want to know the outcome of the race ahead of time, although I'm sure plenty of people did. When given the opportunity, I always like going in cold. It doesn't always make a difference. I mean, I knew how Apollo 13 was going to end, and that didn't diminish that at all. And 25 years later, it still doesn't. I love that movie. I also don't look up true story stuff beforehand, because I don't care about the stuff they change. My dearly departed friend Tom and I used to argue about the truth of movies all the time. He detested when movies change any real-life events, and I used to argue that the movies aren't history books, and they're not bound to get every little thing right. Honestly, I couldn't tell you how close to the mark this movie is, and I don't really care. It's rare that a movie is so egregiously off the mark that it would actually matter, and when it does, it's often on purpose, like in a Tarantino movie. So, I also saw, would point out that I saw a bunch of old-timers, car guys I gathered, having a blast at this theater, and you go to the movies enough like you and I do, you can tell the people that don't go to the movies a lot, and these guys, I don't think, go out to a lot of movies, but I think it's because they're a racing movie, they wanted to go and they 
were just having the time of their life. The old guy was sitting right beside me. He was just laughing throughout, and they were all giggling together afterwards. So I, I love seeing stuff like that when people who don't usually go to the movies go and have a great time. And I think this movie is going to have a few good weeks. It made $30 million in its opening weekend. And U.S. Thanksgiving is next weekend, and maybe if this movie can stick around till Christmas, they'll have some good weeks, because this is a, it's a great movie that entire families can go see, and for the holidays, that's often, that's what people like to do. Uh, maybe not, you know, super little kids won't be into it, but from teens to parents to grandparents, it's sort of rare that a film can please everyone, although to be fair, this movie does not have much of a female presence, that is sort of the one thing, the knock I would put against it. Christian Bale has a wife, and she's... She sort of just has the thankless wife part, which is commonplace in so many Hollywood movies. But the movie, I think, uh, if we're going back to what we were talking about Scorsese and that before, I think this movie is higher art than just some bro racing movie. It's not geared toward NASCAR fans only, pun intended. It's set in the world of racing, but it's not just a racing movie. Like I said, it's a David and Goliath movie. It's a movie about friendship. It's a movie about finding yourself and making choices about staying true to yourself and the consequences of those choices. It's beautiful. It's moving. It was entertaining as hell for two and a half straight hours. Four and a half coach cushions out of five for one of the year's best in Ford versus Ferrari. I highly recommend it for everyone. Um, Oscar buzz is getting some. I can see it being the movie that ends up getting seven nominations and zero wins, maybe in the sound categories. If somehow it does win Best Picture, I won't be mad, even though I'm clearly going to be pulling for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, that's right. Once Upon a Time, of course. But this is great. I was... Very impressed. Well, that is a glowing review, and based on that, I think I might have to go check it out because I imagine this this is the kind of movie that would be good to go see at the cinema, at yeah. the big on the big oh, screen. It looks beautiful. It's just and and it's all even when they're not racing, it looks beautiful because it's set in the '60s and they get all the period detail right. And Matt Damon sort of owns this little company where they custom sell. 60s sports cars and stuff so every car in this movie looks amazing yeah and uh, on that subject of movies that change history for the purpose of the film i think one of the more recent examples of that is bohemian rhapsody yeah which did all they messed with the timeline in all sorts of ways and changed over dramatized things like the for example the revelation that freddie mercury had hiv uh that that didn't come until after. No, in the movie the he live does aid. like four big life events on the day of the live aid concert, right? Yeah. Like, and I don't think he even had to like look it up to th- smell that like that can't possibly have all happened on the same day. That'd be weird. Yeah, or even the moment where he sits down on the stage and starts to play the piano, he sits there on the movie for like a good 10, 15 seconds where he's just kind of sitting there and everybody's looking at him wondering, is he going to play? Yeah. But if you go back and watch the concert, he comes out, waves, sits down, and bang, he starts playing. <laughs> like, right. there's no hesitation, but it's a movie, right? you got to dramatize it. Yeah. So if they change, and even Queen has said, look, it's not meant to be a full-blown, like, beat-for-beat autobiography. No. This is a movie that is capturing the spirit of Queen and Freddie Mercury and we, they were okay with changing the order of operations so as long as you know it's done with the the right intention yeah. and it's respectful whatever and it, and it makes the movie better more interesting 
Yeah. If you're just changing it and then you make it worse, that's obviously not good. But Well, I mean, they have to do this as well for if they're adapting fiction books into film. How many... How many if you you can't take any book no. and just replicate it exactly on screen, you have to change things exactly. So that you got to make the story work for the big screen. Up next, I want to tell you about Jeff Goldblum's latest adventure. It's on Disney Plus, and it is delightful. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are the Couch Potatoes, and the Couch Potatoes have long expressed our love of Jeff Goldblum. He is just so much fun. So I was elated to discover on Disney Plus a show called The World According to Jeff Goldblum. This show is a little off the beaten track and it may be unexpected and surprising. So taste it and enjoy. (laughs) I've seen it described as an educational lifestyle show where Goldblum focuses in on a topic per episode or a fragment of society and just kind of zeroes in on it for a half hour. My name is Jeff Goldblum. The name of the show is uh, The World According to Jeff Goldblum. Be forewarned, I'm in the show a lot. I'm sort of fascinated by a lot of things. Sneakers. These shoes are worth twelve to fifteen thousand dollars. Oh boy. Denim. Ice cream. Hey, can I guess what kind of ice cream you want? <laughs> Jewelry. Isn't that something? Tattoos. Whoa. Ah. Is it gonna keep vibrating like that? Yeah. I like that. <laughs> and then every once in a while I break into song. Okay, anyway, what were we talking about? <laughs> I love that. He spins himself out of control and can't remember what he's talking about. Much like The Mandalorian, there are new episodes weekly rather than a binge. So there are only two episodes so far because Disney Plus just launched on the 12th, I think. The first episode was about sneakers. The second about ice cream. The summary is that this show, not so much a full-blown education or history lesson on a given given topic. It's more of a snapshot of a particular subject and Goldblum's experience as he learns about it. And that's what makes it so much fun, because in the hands of another host, this would be kind of mundane, but Goldblum is about as unique as they come. This is what the show is going to be like. So if any of this tempts you or wearies you, you can make a decision right here. I follow my own actual curiosity. Do you believe in ghosts? Can you sing Anchors Away? Can you make a sound like a seagull? Notting Hill. You ever see that movie? Could you eat my skin? What other Irish songs do I know? If I were meat that we'd put in a Korean barbecue, what would I be? A pork belly. <laughs> no, 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 not because you have a belly. No, no. Now that first episode, Sneakers, is mostly a look at sneaker culture, which is huge. Like anything that becomes collectible, there are people who go nuts over said collectible, and Goldblum's curiosity takes us on a really neat journey where we start at SneakerCon, where people spend thousands of dollars, like these people are just carrying around fistfuls of cash. Then he goes to an outboard, outdoor basketball court for some street ball and learns about the psychology of how a cool show can empower, cool shoe rather, can empower a player to feel better and thus 
play better. He goes to the HQ of Adidas or Adidas, <laughs> and he learns about sports science, which was super neat because they show this woman running on a treadmill, but they had her hooked up to some sort of sensors, I guess, because they could map out her skeleton while she was running to see how her body was twisting and turning and impacting and reacting to the shoes she was wearing and if they needed to make adjustments for the shoes. He went to see someone known as the shoe surgeon to get his own shoe made, a guy who designs really fancy sneakers. He went to see a YouTuber, which was fun, Jacques Slade, who does unboxing videos on sneakers. So then Jeff Goldblum did his own unboxing, and it is hilarious. And sprinkled in throughout there are these fun, animated, sciencey bits where they provide you with some actual education stuff, and they explain why people like unboxing videos so much. Then at the end, he delivers a what turned out to be a remarkably powerful message on how the sneaker touches us all and is a reflection of so many aspects of our life, of our culture, of popular culture. It was profound, and I loved it. Again, not a comprehensive history of the sneaker. It's just a half hour of Goldblum kind of goofing off as he learns a little bit about the various aspects of sneaker culture. And it's fun. And it's only a half hour. So I decided to watch the next episode, which was about ice cream. That was dangerous because I live five minutes away from a grocery store on foot. And I love ice cream. I simply cannot have it in my home or I will eat all of it. doesn't matter how big the tub is. If it's there, I will eat it until it's gone. So I just can't have it in my home. Same here. So he first goes to Vegas, hangs out on an ice cream truck. He goes to Vermont to meet Ben and Jerry, who, by the way, live in like this amazing little, it looks like just a kind of a small town. Really? It looks like a piece of paradise. Oh, man. So, and these guys, are, they're like two of the happiest people on earth, and who can blame them? They eat ice cream all day, <laughs> and they are filthy, stinking rich. Maybe they're secretly like Hank Scorpio. He made that little town too, didn't he? Hank Scorpio. On The Simpsons, the bad guy. Oh, yeah. My God, that is a deep cut. He uh, visited a place that makes these really weird flavors of ice cream. Like, they use ingredients like dried crickets and pig's blood. They actually went into the Pacific Northwest forest, to, or a forest in the Pacific Northwest, to find some natural ingredients to make a Jeff Goldblum-specific ice cream. And the journey they went on was weird, and just the whole thing was weird. And we also learned that the American Navy loves ice cream. So, yeah, it was cool. It was just fun. So if you got Disney+, Plus and you can deal with the streaming issues they seem to be having, because 60 minutes of television turned into almost two hours because it kept buffering. Oh, okay. I thought that was just me. No, that was brutal. It was just buffering a lot. Beef up their servers. Almost threw my phone through the TV. I but do anyway. like how all their shows seem to be about half an hour long so far that we've seen. Yeah, The Mandalorian. I yeah. think the first episode was 39 minutes. The second episode was 32. With f- including four minutes of credits. I counted. Oh, yeah, that's right. Their credits are super <laughs> long. So, yeah, Jeff Goldblum, super fun. So if you got Disney+, Plus, check it out. Uh, even if you don't necessarily like Jeff Goldblum as an actor, you might like him in this because he's just such a, a zany guy. And the topics, the way he handles these topics is with just pure joy he's just he has so much joy he takes so much joy out of all of this and hopefully you will too that's all the time we've got i'm brett he's jeff we are the couch potatoes make sure you subscribe to our podcast if you're listening to this on the radio and not on podcast and remember if it requires getting up off the couch don't bother